Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist here at Skywatcher here in North America, and welcome to the What's Up webcast. Uh, we do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, if you like what you see here and you want to stay in touch and see what's going on, uh, you can always subscribe to our channel. Uh, you know, we welcome everyone to stay in touch with us. It keeps you up to date with what else is all the new content that we post, any new videos, um, all kinds of stuff. So if you head over and subscribe, it helps the channel out and keeps us doing the webcast. Um, if there is a topic you'd like us to cover that maybe we haven't looked into doing before, uh, go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and title it What's Up Webcast, and uh, I'll be happy to help you guys out with that and take some considerations of all that fun stuff as well. So, today it's April 2nd. Oh, of course, everybody, uh, good morning. and. Uh, if you've never been with us before, uh, thanks for being here. Um, and if you have been with us before, happy Friday. So just uh, throw that out to everybody there. So that being said, let's get started. Uh, today, of course, is April 2nd. It's the day after uh, April Fool's. So hopefully it... I'm not sure how your April Fool's was, but whatever. You know, welcome anyway. Um, so we thought it would be fun to do kind of a funny spoof episode to kind of show some of the stuff that's happened um, in astronomy, some of the things that we've seen, um, you know, that are just kind of funny. Uh, so we're going to go through that today, uh, and we'll see how this goes. So I've been to a bunch of different observatories. I've talked to a bunch of people before and every place has some kind of funny story uh, behind it and um, some of them are, are kind of hysterical some of them are just kind of fun little Easter egg tidbits about that location but there's always something that makes the place unique um, and those stories are always fun to share with people so this first section of today's presentation is called uh, observatory oddities just little, you know, fun things that I've found, or some of you might even know some of these things. It's just, it's kind of on theme with today. So we'll, we'll see how all of that goes and take a look at all of that. So first up, being from Arizona, um, one of our most famous uh, observatories and probably one of the most well-known observatories around the world, of course, is Lowell Observatory, and they are up in Flagstaff, uh, Arizona. And if you've never been there, they, they're really a cool place to go. So if you're ever in Arizona or um, want to take a trip up to Lowell Observatory, uh, do so. They've got a great facility up there. Uh, there's lots of history. Of course, that's where Pluto was discovered up there with the 13-inch Pluto telescope. And of course, they have the world-famous uh, Clark 24-inch telescope, which is still in operation today. You can still go use it. Um, it's an incredible instrument. They refurbished it back in 2014, um, so it's all been redone, um, and it's ready. It's I think it's over 120 years old now, but they use it every clear night um, for viewing, so you can go up there and check it out. It's really a cool facility, but a little bit about the observatory that that telescope is actually housed in. Um, has some fun little Easter eggs 
Um, if you ever go up there for the tour, they'll they'll point that out. Um, like I said, this is in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, northern Arizona. So you're you're you know about two hours north of Phoenix and about an hour and a half south of Grand Canyon. So you can kind of hit all of that. Now, what is interesting about this particular observatory, what's kind of fun about it, is you'll see the tires um, on the bottom of the observatory. Most observatories nowadays use some kind of, I know some of the more advanced observatories, um, like out at Fort Davis, uh, McDonald Observatory, their big 10 meter floats on these big airbags, and there's all kinds of ways to make bearings for telescopes now. and this one, however, uses old truck tires. So it's just kind of a cool little uh, tidbit about that observatory. There's several dozen of these these old, I think they're Ford tires, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but they have these old tires that the entire observatory basically rolls on. So it's kind of a neat little um, Easter egg that they have up there um, and it works and it's been working for the last 120 years. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So kind of a cool little signature piece of the Clark 24-inch telescope um, up on the observa uh, Lowell Observatory there. Now, another cool thing is the actual opening or the slit in the observatory dome, um, and they call this a wedding cake style dome because it's not a nice arc dome and it kind of goes up and then up. Um, so they call it a wedding cake design. Um, but the doors that are actually part of the observatory slit were originally used on a uh, bomber, uh, like a military aircraft bomber, um, and they use the bomb bay doors as the slit doors of the observatory. So that's kind of a cool, funny little thing about the Clark Observatory, or the Clark Telescope at uh, Lowell Observatory. So that's um, kind of a cool thing. Um, I'm sure they have some more... Uh, little Easter eggs in the observatory and history behind it. Um, but you'll have to go up there and check it out. There is one more, and they don't do it anymore. Uh, when they refurbished the telescope in 2014, a lot of stuff got taken off and redone, and some of the stuff was archived and put in their museum for display. But originally, the covers for the telescope here, they used a pie tin, you know, like what you would bake a pie um, in. And that would be the objective cover for the, the telescopes in the 24-inch uh, Clark Observatory there. So it would kind of open and shut, and they found it best to use a pie tin. And I know there's a whole story behind that. Um, so if you ever do go up there, ask them about the pie tins uh, observatory covers, and they'll, I'm sure they'll be happy to, to tell you about that. But it's just kind of a cool little, funny little signature um, that... Lowell Observatory has had for years and like I said those were eventually replaced in 2014 when the telescope was refurbished with you know machined uh, really nice covers that really complement the telescope at the time so um, but yeah just an interesting history of the Lowell Observatory 24 inch Clark refractor um, about that particular uh, telescope. Now this next one I probably should have pushed till later um, I think it's kind of the ultimate, uh, one of the biggest ones in this uh, entire topic. Uh, but it, this, I bring this up quite a bit because we have people calling all the time saying, my lens is dirty, 
this is wrong with my lens, the mirror has something on it, blah, 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 blah. And uh, we all like to keep our optics clean, but a lot of times it really has no effect on the use of the telescope at all. And there's one particular telescope when this topic comes up of, hey, should I clean my mirror and my lens is dusty, should I clean it? A lot of times it's best just not to touch it. But uh, this particular telescope, this is the McDonald Observatory, uh, Harlan J. Smith, 107 inch um, telescope. This You can actually view through this telescope um, they have special viewing nights for this telescope. You have to sign up, uh, but uh, this is up there. It's in the tour. You can go see this uh, particular telescope. Um, and it's 107 inch, the Harlan J. Smith. It's one of the larger ones up on the peaks out there. If you're ever in Texas for like the Texas star party, you'll see this observatory there. Um, and of course this is uh, McDonald observatory in Texas, uh, now near Fort Davis, kind of West Texas area. Now, this particular telescope has an interesting history, and you'll see from the primary, which this picture right here is the primary mirror, it's, it's obviously got the main baffle central obstruction because it is a Cassegrain-style optical system, but there's all these marks on the mirrors. Now, a while ago, I'm not exactly sure what year this occurred, but it's been several decades, the telescope operator of this particular telescope lost it, and... Um, he took a six-shooter revolver and basically pounded six slugs into the primary mirror of the telescope. And those bullet holes are still there to this day. There they are, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, they're all there. So six bullet holes, very Texas um, story. But yeah, six bullet holes into the 107-inch primary mirror. They still use the telescope for research. They still use the telescope for viewing, and it works just fine. So it really doesn't hinder the overall use of the telescope because uh, you still have all the surface area of the primary that's still there. So if you're ever worried that your primary mirror is a little dusty or it's got some dirt or grime on it, it's probably not a big deal. You know, maybe clean it once a year. But ultimately, there's a telescope out there that has six bullet holes in the mirror and it still works. So it's okay. Um, that's kind of the extreme thing of it, but that is a real thing. So if you're ever on their uh, insiders tour where they take you into the observatories, you can ask them about the bullet holes in the primary mirror because it, it's still there to this day, still getting used like it was when it was first made and it works just fine. So all as well on the 107 inch even though there are bullet holes in the mirror so your telescope will never be that bad so. now uh, i think many of us are probably familiar with the story of the hubble space telescope um, now of course hubble space telescope it's in space if you haven't figured that one out um now, the mirror on the Hubble Space Telescope is essentially perfect. It's one of the best optics ever created. Um, however, it was figured slightly differently of what it was supposed to actually be. And, of course, this created a whole big fiasco because when they sent the telescope up, the images weren't all that great. And after all that time and all that money, it was just kind of like, uh-oh. Um, so, uh, 
And it was for a variety of things. It had something to do with the mirror um, being figured slightly differently, where it's different shape. Very, very slightly. Just enough, because the images coming from it were still, you could still see stuff, but it wasn't anything of what it was now. Um, it had problems. So they, of course, had to devise how to fix that. And then in 1993, they had to send a whole, um, whole new shuttle mission up there to go ahead and fix that. So, um, of course, that's now fixed now. And we all know the history of the Hubble Space Telescope being some of the most amazing images that humanity has ever seen of deep space. So clearly it's been fixed. But um, anyway, we all know about the Hubble blunder um, that occurred. And thankfully the Hubble Space Telescope is now amazing and it's all good. So Now, I'm not sure how many of you have seen these. Um, you have to go to some of the major observatories. A lot of them are out west. There's a couple in California. Um, um, let me rephrase that. This is the very large base array. Um, and these are a an array of radio telescopes. And they are spread across basically the North American continent. Um, they actually stretch from Hawaii. There's one on Mauna Kea, and then they go out to the Caribbean. Uh, there's a couple out in the east part of the country. Uh, this one right here is from West Texas. It's right next to the McDonald Observatory. Uh, there's one in Arizona at Kitt Peak. There's one in Pie Town, New Mexico. And I think there's a couple scattered up in California and some other places there. Um, but these are VLBA radio dishes, and they're, they're radio telescopes. They are observing black holes and all kinds of really far out crazy stuff. And they combined all these radio dishes across from the Caribbean to Hawaii. They combine all of them to equal something like a 3,000 mile wide mirror to where they can sit and observe these targets with a very high amount of resolution because of how wide the array actually is. So these are scattered across North America, usually in fairly remote locations because they need to be away from radio um, influence, much like we want to be away from light pollution, radio telescopes need to be far away from radio pollution. So in order to capture those faint distant signals. Now, and these are also very similar to the VLA, uh, which is the very large array in uh, New Mexico. You probably are probably more familiar with them in Contact, the movie with Jodie Foster, where they have all of them tracking. That's the VLA. Well, this is the VLBA. It's bigger. And these are all pretty much the same design. But what's cool about these is, so you have that dish. You have the dish here. And then you have the secondary and then right in the center here is the receiver I'm gonna put a picture of this but the receiver um, you can actually climb up into it. it's got a door um, I've been up in one of these dishes um, you can open the door there and you can climb out into the dish and inspect the dish and climb up to the secondary and do whatever maintenance is needed to be done however what's kind of funny about this is the ladder and this is when we were in the one in Kit Peak um, uh, they've shut it. We knew someone up there, some friends of mine, and they were able to shut down the, the dish for an hour or two, and we were able to climb up into the dish and check it out. But the ladder 
that's inside those radio telescopes to climb up to the receiver and get into the dish that is a nuclear submarine ladder um that you can climb up in there so that's just a funny little tidbit but yeah ladder to get up into the receiver of the vlba and vla radio dish telescopes is a submarine ladder so why not it's off the shelf it's easy to get to done so Yes, the B for this is very large base array. Um, so thank you for correcting that. All right, so the next one, and I think we're all freaked out about this. I know I've done this myself. So a good friend of mine, um, hopefully we'll have him on as a speaker later this year. He works up at Mount Hopkins Observatory, which is south of Tucson. Uh, he runs the 60-inch primarily, he also does the 48-inch, but he does follow-up work for the Tess and Kepler missions, um, observing exoplanets and basically finding exoplanets is what his job is. And so in the 60-inch dome, and just Mount Hopkins, and this is Amondo, yeah, Amondo, uh, Arizona, south of Tucson, um, so down there in the southern part of the state. Um, one day, I'm not sure when this was, but someone left the shutter open on the observatory. And for those of you who aren't familiar with observatory domes, the shutter is the, the slit that the telescope looks through. And for whatever reason, the primary wasn't covered either. And of course, being daylight, you have the sun. So the sun somehow crept in and hit the mirror and reflected off the primary. And because it is a you know curved mirror it will bring that light to focus at some point so it basically melted uh part of the dome um inside there you can see some of the scorch marks um right there so that that's happened and believe it or not that's actually happened on a couple different observatories that i've been to uh some other ones that are notable i didn't have any pictures of them um but the, the world-famous 100-inch Hooker Telescope on Mount Wilson, the one they've discovered the expanding of the universe, expanding of the universe um, that has a burn mark inside of the dome. And, of course, the Big Bear Solar Observatory has a burn mark uh, somewhere on its structure there. Um, it was a big chunk of steel on the Big Bear Solar Observatory, and the light came to a focus not where it was supposed to be, and, of course, it melted a big chunk of uh, steel with a big burn mark in there. So when you're working in the daytime and you've got big mirrors, be very, very careful about that because they will do their job. They will focus light and it will screw up something. So just an FYI. Now, um, continuing on um, with this, um, same collection, because the 1.5 meter or the 60 inch telescope up there is part of the um, Harvard uh, Observatory. Now, Harvard has this amazing collection of old plates, old glass photographic plates, and they have it on a website that you can go check out. You can type in the plate number and it gives you all kinds of stuff. So, and you can reference all those different plates. It's an amazing collection. So, uh, Harvard did an awesome job at documenting and maintaining those old plates. Uh, so this is the Arequipa Observatory. I don't know if that's still a thing anymore. Um, this is from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so I, I don't know if that observatory is still active anymore. I'm not sure. But it's down in Peru. Um, if it is there, that's where it was originally done. 
Um, this is a nine minute exposure. So many of us, I think, are familiar with doing astrophotography, how long your five, 10, 15, however long your exposure is, and how annoying it can be to get a satellite through the image or a laser pointer if you're at a star party or something that just messes up your shot. But in this case, because it's glass plates and you're in Peru, they had a spider uh, crawl up on the plate during the exposure, and he is now eternally frozen in time on this glass plate um, right there. So uh, this plate, if you ever want to reference it, it's plate B16502. This was exposed on June 28, 1896. Um, but yes, there is the spider frozen in time. Um, so when you say there's a spider in the telescope, it really has nothing to do um, with your Newtonian spider or your secondary assembly. This telescope legit had a spider inside of it and is now uh, permanently there on display on the glass plate. And there is the scan of that plate. So if you want to review that, um, you can go to the DASCH uh, uh, Harvard website, type in, look for the plate 165. Zero two, and make sure it's the B plate. There's a couple plates, um, but the B plate, and it's got the spider silhouetted um, up there in the top right corner of the plate. So you can imagine waiting nine minutes, and then taking a glass plate, and then taking an additional five to ten um, images. Oh, I am so sorry. My head is in the way. Thanks uh, for telling me. Let me just make myself disappear real quick. So. There you go. There is the spider. Sorry, guys. I, normally, there's nothing in the top right corner, and this just happens to be in the top right corner. So um, there is the spider up at the top right, um, basically frozen in time on the glass plate. So this plate now is over 100 years old, even more than that at this point. Um, but yep, frozen in time from Peru, a spider um, on the glass plate. So hopefully my head is out of the way now so uh, you can actually see that. So sorry about that. All right, now that unfortunately wasn't the only time that this has actually occurred where they had a bug crawl onto the glass plate. Um, this also happened again, same observatory. I guess that's what happens when you're in the tropics um, area. And um, this one's even worse um, because the culprit is bigger and the exposure is longer. So this, of course, is a 45-minute exposure on a glass plate with a big old praying mantis. I'm pretty sure it's not living anymore um, because it, it stayed remarkably still for 45 minutes. Um, so yeah, uh, you have a whole praying mantis covering like uh, over a fourth of the glass plate exposure. Um, so this was exposed on January 10th, 1925, um, 45-minute exposure. So you can imagine sitting for 45 minutes, take another 20 minutes or 30 minutes, however long it takes to take the development process of the glass plate, and having a whole bug basically ruin the exposure. So unfortunately, it's not digital. And you can't just get rid of it. So now it is permanently documented in Harvard's collection of glass plates. Um, and if you want to review this one too, this one's a little harder to get the actual um, plate to show up, the scan. But they do have it documented. If you want to look for it, it's MF20127 is the plate number. 
um, so you can uh, go check that out and uh, see how that works um, finding that plate but yeah just some um, some funny stuff right there so all right so the next one I think many of us are really familiar with uh, the Easter eggs that NASA likes to put on the spacecrafts and there's a number of them it goes back um, some of them are very respectful some of them are kind of funny um, but these are just some of the the ones right now a little bit more um, modern so I think we're all familiar we have uh, Ingenuity Mars helicopter that's just about to take flight um, and uh, this was sent over uh, the other day this is they're getting they're deploying that I think that helicopter is about to take flight uh, here soon so that will be the first um, flying aircraft on another planet so that's gonna be cool um, but what's kind of neat and I thought this was kind of a cool homage to manned flight here on earth is ingenuity holds a piece of the fabric from the Wright brothers Kitty Hawk aircraft um, I'm sure many of our astronomy people in the chat are aware of that but if you're not um, it's kind of cool because this is the being that this is the first aircraft to fly on an extra um, on a distant world it has the first piece of uh, one of the first the first plane has a piece of the first plane that flew here on earth so um, powered flight plane so that's kind of cool it's it's hidden somewhere um, inside ingenuity there and now it's on Mars so and there's quite a few Easter eggs that they've put on um, the latest Mars rover um, Perseverance um, I know there's a plaque on there that um, memorializes the whole COVID uh, pandemic um, it has a I should have put some of the pictures on here you can look them up online there's also a plaque on there that shows the family of rovers that's taken to get to Perseverance so you have the original Sojourn uh, uh, rover you have Spirit and Opportunity um, Curiosity and now you have Perseverance so they have a cool little family tree plaque on there and then of course the one that was really famous from Perseverance was the uh, parachute which you can look up what that uh, was all over the news a couple weeks ago um, so you can look that up as well but um, one of the cooler ones I think is the Ingenuity Mars helicopter with a piece of the Wright Brothers Kitty Hawk uh, plane on there so uh, moving on Curiosity Mars rover also had a several Easter eggs on there but one of them probably the biggest one is the wheels um, the wheels on Curiosity so NASA wasn't able to put Jet Propulsion Laboratory on the rover um, so they instead made the wheels uh, say Jet Propulsion Laboratory in the most scientific way possible Morse code so on the wheels there these holes that you see right here that's all Morse code it's on all six wheels and that spells out JPL and Morse code so now that this rover rolls around Mars it's leaving its footprints all over the place and every few rolls it leaves the JPL uh, Morse code on the surface of Mars uh, eventually a dust storm will make that go away but it's kind of a cool little thing there that they have hidden inside there uh, with the Curiosity rover uh, rolling around um, the new one Perseverance does not have the holes the wheels are a little bit more substantial for Perseverance because uh, Curiosity's 
wheels got torn up pretty quickly with holes and all kinds of stuff. So they learned a lot from curiosity as far as wheels go and applied it to perseverance. So no, no JPL uh, imprints on perseverance, but it is up on curiosity. So kind of a cool uh, little thing there. Okay, astronomical uh-ohs. Um, there's quite a few of them here. And we all know that space travel can be really difficult. Um, so one of the more recent one, Mars particularly is known as a, you know, a killer when it comes to uh, landing different uh, probes up there. Um, the U.S. has lost several. European Space Agency has lost several. So um, here's some of the more modern ones. Of course, we have Beagle 2. Uh, Beagle 2 launched in June 2nd, 2003. Um, it was supposed to land on Mars. Of course, that was the target program was European Space Agency. Um, unfortunately, Beagle 2 was strapped to Mars Express Orbiter. And the last time we heard from Beagle 2 was when uh, Mars Express released the Beagle 2 lander. And that was it. No one heard anything from it. And eventually they figured out that something happened. It didn't go where it was supposed to. Well, um, they were able to finally find it um, a few years ago with the uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter and its high-resolution cameras. Um, Beagle 2 did make it to Mars. Uh, there it is right there, and the parachute, and the rear cover. And unfortunately, it did not survive its landing. So, yeah, Beagle 2 did not work out for various reasons unfortunately it just goes to the martian graveyard of uh landers um on there so now another one uh Schiaparelli, um was part of exomars mission uh this launched in 2016 of course mars was the target and european space agencies fired this one up and unfortunately due to a system glitch you know, computers, we all love them. Um, it didn't work out. It did not deploy the parachutes and ended up becoming a 106 mile an hour impactor, um, hitting the ground and making a massive 50 by 130 foot hole in Mars. So that unfortunately did not work out too much um, for that uh, particular uh that particular one on there. So um, that's kind of an unfortunate thing, but Mars is really, really difficult. Now there's, there is an actual uh, Chaparelli crater on Mars. Um, it's a, it's like 458 kilometers wide. It's big. Um, now there's technically two Chaparelli craters on Mars. There's the original and this one right here. So uh, unfortunately that did not work out too well. Um, but you know, you continue on and you make new steps. So, ta-da. All right, star parties. Now, star parties are, we've all been to star parties. We all love star parties. Um, hopefully one day we can all get back to star parties, but stuff happens. And some of these star parties you wanna be careful with. Uh, this happened in, I don't remember what year we were there. This is Texas star party. If you've ever been to Texas Star Party, or if you ever go, 
Texas is an amazing event. It's huge. There's like 400, 500 people there. There's telescopes of every every size and design you can think of. It's a phenomenal event. But the weather there is difficult to deal with and can change quickly. And you want to make sure you've got covers for your telescopes. And more importantly, you want to make sure your telescopes are secured in case you get a dust devil or whatever happens. Um, but yeah, star parties, telescopes can get tired too. Um, but so a couple stories about Texas star party real quick, just in case anybody uh, wants to go. And um, as someone who's been there several years, um, if you've ever wanted to go, it's definitely worth going to. Um, highly recommend it, especially if you're a serious observer. The skies are awesome. Um, and the camaraderie there is pretty awesome as well. So definitely worth going to but um the thing about texas star party is it it tends to have the weather change pretty quickly at times there's some weeks we've been there and it's been amazing other weeks we've had crazy storms um, but you should always expect that the breeze and the wind is going to kick up during the day so you want to make sure that your telescope is anchored now whenever we go any of our big mounts, we have bungee cords strapped to the legs, and then we have those big six-inch like spikes or nails that you can get, big old things, and we pound those into the ground to anchor our equipment down. And that's because if you have a telescope cover, which actually helps with the rain, but becomes a sail in the wind, um, you want to make sure that your telescope is ready uh, to handle the wind there. Now, unfortunately, this uh, 22 inch obsession ultra compact um, didn't have a good stroke of luck um, I don't think anything was damaged uh, we didn't move it we didn't touch it it wasn't our telescope so I was not going to be um, responsible for trying to help fix something and end up damaging a 22 inch primary um, but I think everything on this one was okay uh, at least optically I'm not sure uh, owner was a bit freaked out but um that's what can happen at texas star party um and another instant the first year i think we were there it was like 2015 2014 uh there was a 25 inch daub that had cover on it and it was the same thing except this time the dust devil picked it up and rolled it down the field and luckily nothing was broken there either but if you ever go to texas star party which I highly recommend. Just be prepared that the weather there gets a little crazy and make sure you make anchor your equipment down so it doesn't go fluttering off in the wind um, as well. A uh, third time this has happened, um, happened many years ago out here in Arizona um, at the All Arizona Messier Marathon. Uh, we had a local observer. He, he had gone off for some lunch to some nearby town and it was breezy again. It, this time it was a C11 on an original CGE mount. And Dust Devil came, picked up the telescope, and threw it. You know, a couple hundred pounds of gear destroyed a bunch of stuff on it. So luckily insurance covered that. But at that point, um, it was pretty much done. So he was able to get some of that recouped. Um, he got a second telescope, same thing. And the one that went flying um, is now affectionately called Toto, and it lives in his observatory here in Phoenix uh, somewhere. So 
If you are going to a star party and you are going to put covers on your telescope, which I recommend, um, I've got two mounts outside right now. They're under some 365 covers. Just make sure everything's you know tight. And if you need to anchor the telescope down, um, particularly if you're going to Texas Star Party, that's a must. Everyone does it there. But yeah, bring some kind of anchor system for your telescopes because they tend to fall over. And if you're running them rampant for seven to eight days, they get tired again and they just want to go to sleep too. So just be careful with your telescope. All right. Um, Texas. Texas is one of the craziest places that I've observed. It's just they've got all kinds of critters out there and all kinds of stuff. So um, northern Texas, uh, there is an amazing facility called the Three Rivers Foundation or 3RF. Um, they're an education center, beautiful dark skies. They have a dream collection of telescopes. I mean, it's amazing. If, go look it up. And if you're in Texas, go check them out when things get back. But they have an amazing facility. I, I've never seen anything like their facility. Um, so their main telescope in this facility um, is in this big ash dome. This is a 15-inch D&G refractor. It's the biggest refractor I think D&G has ever built. Um, for reference, uh, all those equipment people watching, uh, this telescope is sitting on an Astrophysics 3600 equatorial mount, and it makes that mount look small. And it actually shakes when it's on this mount because of how long that telescope is. I think it's like a 15-inch F12. Um, I don't even know what that comes out to. Oh, duh. 15 feet. Um, it's about 15 feet long. I think it's F12. Maybe a little bit longer than that. Big, big acromat. Yes, it has some false color on it, but how many times do you get to use a 15-inch refractor? So... We did a special Messier Marathon for Skywatcher several years ago. We really should do something that, like that again. It was kind of fun. Um, and during the, this thing is so well aligned that we were looking at stuff during the day with it. Stars, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, on the back of it, because of how long this telescope is, you can't use a standard diagonal because every time you switch the eyepieces, the balance changes. So they have this big turret of eyepieces back there. And we had ended up, we were using it during the day and we noticed, I think it was with the 41 pan optic, there was something weird happening in the eyepiece. There was some like vignetting that was occurring and we could not figure out what it was. Well, after letting some of the on-site techs take a look at it, we found out it was a wasp. And if you ever go out to Texas, they are mud daubers, as they like to call them out there. Um, there are these wasps everywhere. Um, they just go about doing their thing. Somehow this one had gotten in the telescope. We had finally found that there's a gap, probably about half inch gap between the mounting cell of the tube and the actual objective cell. So we had to flip this telescope around and we helped them put string around that to make sure that the lens could still breathe but it would keep bugs out. So. Uh, we sealed that up, we took the eyepiece off, and eventually the wasp flew out and left. But, yeah, when you go to Texas, everything gets into everything. Um, even the crates that we shipped out here that held our large telescopes at the time 
came back with wasp nests inside of them. So that was a lot of fun to to deal with as well. So Texas is always a fun place to observe. The skies are always great, um, but you do tend to get weird things stuck in your telescope. So just an FYI, if you go observing out there, it's just kind of a, a thing. Um, so uh, because today was just kind of a fun little thing, it's gonna be a little shorter than our typical hour. Um, we're actually doing pretty good right now, but this is the final set of slides that I have here. Um, there is a video that goes along with this. I can play it if you guys want to see it. Um, it's on our YouTube channel, but I can play it uh, right here if you guys wanna watch it. Um, just let me know in the chat and I'll bring the whole video in. Several years ago, oh, let me give you a backstory about this. Before I started working for Skywatcher, I had I have a friend of mine, his name's John. He works for a company called Raytheon Missile Systems. Um, and they make rockets. And he is a amateur rocket builder, builder, a very advanced one at that. And we always had this running joke in our group that we should build a rocket out of a telescope tube. And it was always kind of a running thing until I worked for Skywatcher and one day we were cleaning out a bunch of stuff and we found an old carbon fiber telescope. Um, and well, long story short, uh, we turned that telescope into a rocket. We actually sent it to him um, there wasn't any lens with it. A lot of the part, a lot of the real good parts had been pulled. Um, we had removed the lens from this telescope and it went into another um, tube. I think it's one of our demo esprits now. Um, but we just had this carbon fiber tube laying around. These were out of production. We weren't doing anything with it. Um, we couldn't make an aluminum tube rocket because if the rocket engine blew up, you then had shrapnel. So that was off the the, the case. So. The carbon fiber tube worked. So we sent this off to John for a few months and he turned it into a rocket and we actually flew it um, a couple years ago. It, this is actually in our offices in California now in our photo studio. The rocket stands about four or five feet tall um, with the nose cone on it. Um, we put a GoPro camera in there. Um, you can kind of see it sitting right there. And uh, yeah, we made a rocket out of it and we flew it. So. Um, if you want to watch the video, I have it here. Let me know if not, um, you know, I'll just do it so you guys can actually see it. So let me uh, get this video ready for you guys. I'm going to mute myself. The video is about five minutes long, um, but it'll show you basically the entire, the entire process of this thing. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, after that, I'll come back on and we will finish up today. Um, but yeah, let me get this going and uh, give me just a sec. desert in Arizona just outside a small town called Wickenburg and we're going to show you what we do with leftover parts of telescopes and we try to have fun here at Skywatcher so we built a rocket out of it. So today we're here to launch that rocket. It's about going about 1400 feet up in the air in about nine seconds but we'll get into the specs later. 
So what are we trying to accomplish with this? Well, astronomy is about having fun, and sometimes things don't work the way we need them to, so we find other uses for them. So that's what we're going to do today. Yep. <laughs> okay. Everything seems nice. Everything seems hunky-dory. This, this is your cover for later. Oh, we're getting ready to launch. Feel the breeze coming out. My name is John Meshberger. I'm flying a Skywatcher Quantum ED-150. Uh, we've converted it to added fence to make it into a rocket. It's going to fly on a J-570 with about uh, 1150 newton seconds maximum thrust. Should hit maximum velocity about 297 feet per second and peak out at about 1400 feet in about nine and a half seconds. Ranger clear. Going in five, four, three, two, one, launch. <laughs>
So that was fun. Um, one of the we'll have to um, redo that sometime, and actually we could actually fly it again. So we'll have to do that again sometime, maybe with a bigger motor. But um, well, cool. Well, I like I said, we're wrapping up a little early today. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed today. It was just kind of a fun little thing in honor of April Fools. We like to have around here um, if you really like the channel go ahead and subscribe uh, if you want to see us do another video on a particular topic that we might not have covered go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just label it what's up in the email title uh, next week we're kind of going back to our regular scheduled uh, episodes of April night skies so uh, Come out and join us. We're going to see what's up in the April, uh, skies of April. Of course, it's galaxy season. We're in spring, so we're going to be talking about a lot of really deep, crazy-looking stuff out there. Uh, so join us next week. And, of course, we've got some other cool stuff uh, this month as well. So um, I hope you guys had fun today. It was just kind of a little uh, fun little episode we thought we'd throw together about just some funny things that have happened. And, uh, yeah. Um, Please have a good weekend, stay safe, clear skies, and we will see you guys next week for our What's Up in the Nighttime Sky episode. So take care, everyone. Um, have a good weekend.